0: Chapter 4 of Mount Royal, Volume 3 by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Dust to Dust The inquest at the Warncliffe Arms was conducted in a thoroughly respectable, unsuspicious manner. No searching questions were asked, no inferences drawn. To the farmers and tradespeople who constituted that rustic jury, the case seemed too simple to need any severe interrogation a gentleman staying in a country house goes out shooting and is so unlucky as to shoot himself instead of the birds whereof he went in search he is found with an empty bag and a charge of swan-shot through his heart hard lines as jack vandeler observed sotto voce to a neighbouring squire while the inquest was pursuing its sleepy course and about the queerest fluke i ever saw on any table was it a fluke muttered little montague lifting himself on tiptoe to watch the proceedings he and his companions were standing among a little crowd at the door of the justice room it looks to me uncommonly as if mr hamley had shot himself we all know he was deadly sweet on mrs t although both of them behaved beautifully men have died and worms have eaten them but not for love quoted captain vandeleur who had a hearsay knowledge of shakespeare though he had never read a shakespearean play in his life If Hamley was so dead tired of life that he wanted to kill himself, he could have done it comfortably in his own room. He might wish to avoid the imputation of suicide. Pshaw! How can any man care what comes afterwards? Bury me where four roads meet with a stake through my body, or in Westminster Abbey under a marble monument, and the result is just the same to me. That's because you are an out-and-out bohemian. But Hamley was a dandy in all things. He would be nice about the details of his death mr hamley's valet was now being questioned as to his master's conduct and manner on the morning he left mount royal the man replied that his master's manner had been exactly the same as usual he was always very quiet said no more than was necessary to be said he was a kind master but never familiar he never made a companion of me said the man though i'd been with him at home and abroad twelve years but a better master never lived he was always an early riser there was nothing out of the way in his getting up at six and going out at seven there was only one thing at all out of the common and that was his attending to his gun himself instead of telling me to get it ready for him had he many guns with him only two the one he took was an old gun a favourite do you know why he took swan shot to shoot woodcocks no unless he made a mistake in the charge he took the cartridges out of the case himself and put them into his pocket he was an experienced sportsman though he was never as fond of sport as the generality of gentlemen do you know if he had been troubled in mind of late no i don't think he had any trouble on his mind he was in very bad health and knew that he had not long to live but he seemed quite happy and contented indeed judging by what i saw of him i should say that he was in a more easy contented frame of mind during the last few months than he had ever been for the last four years this closed the examination there had been very few witnesses called only the medical man the men who had found the body the girl at the farm who declared that she had given the key to mr hamley a little before eight that morning that no one else had asked for the key till the men came from mount royal that to her knowledge no one but the men at work on the farm had gone up the lane that morning a couple of farm laborers gave the same testimony they had been at work in the topmost field all the morning and no one had gone to the kiev that way except the gentleman that was killed they had heard a shot or two shots they were not certain which fired between eight and nine they were not very clear as to the hour and they could not say for certain whether they heard one or two shots but they knew that the report was a very loud one unusually loud for a sportsman's shot mr tregonell although he was in the room ready to answer any questions was not interrogated The jury went in a wagonette to see the body, which was still lying at the farm, and returned after a brief inspection of that peaceful clay, the countenance wearing that beautiful calm which is said to be characteristic of death from a gunshot wound, to give their verdict. Death by Misadventure The body was carried to Mount Royal after dark, and three days later there was a stately funeral, to which first cousins and second cousins of the dead came as far from the four corners of the earth for angus hamley dying a bachelor and leaving a handsome estate behind him was a person to be treated with all those last honours which affectionate kindred can offer to poor humanity he was buried in the little churchyard in the hollow where christabel and he had heard the robin singing and the dull thud of the earth thrown out of an open grave in the calm autumn sunlight now in the autumn his own grave was dug in the same peaceful spot in accordance with a note which his valet who knew his habits found in a diary october eleventh if i should die in cornwall and there are times when i feel as if death were nearer than my doctor told me at our last interview i should like to be buried in minster churchyard i have outlived all family associations and i should like to lie in a spot which is dear to me for its own sake a will had been found in mr hamley's dispatch-box which receptacle was opened by his lawyer who came from london on purpose to take charge of any papers which his client might have in his possession at the time of his death The bulk of his papers were no doubt in his chambers in the albany chambers which he had taken on coming of age and which he had occupied at intervals ever since mr tregonell showed himself keenly anxious that everything should be done in a strictly legal manner and it was by his own hand that the lawyer was informed of his client's death and invited to mount royal mr bryanstone the solicitor a thorough man of the world and an altogether agreeable person appeared at the manor-house two days before the funeral and being empowered by mr tregonell to act as he pleased sent telegrams far and wide to the dead man's kindred who came trooping like carrion crows to the funeral feast angus hamley was buried in the afternoon a mild peaceful afternoon at the end of october with a yellow light in the western sky which deepened and brightened as the funeral train wound across the valley climbed the steep street of beaucastle and then wound slowly downwards into the green heart of the hill to the little rustic burial-place that orb of molten gold was sinking behind the edge of the moor just when the vicar read the last words of the funeral service golden and crimson gleams touched the landscape here and there golden light still lingered on the sea as the mourners so thoroughly formal and conventional for the most part jack vandeleur and little mountie amidst the train with carefully composed features went back to their carriages and then the shades of evening came slowly down and spread a dark pall over hillside and hedge and churchyard where there was no sound but the monotonous fall of the earth which the grave-digger was shovelling into that new grave there had been no women at the funeral those two who each after her own peculiar fashion had loved the dead man were shut in their own rooms thinking of him picturing with too vivid imagery the lowering of the coffin in the new-made grave hearing the solemn monotony of the clergyman's voice sounding clear in the clear air the first shovelful of earth falling on the coffin lid dust to dust dust to dust lamps were lighted in the drawing-room where the will was to be read a large wood fire burned brightly pleasant after the lowered atmosphere of evening wines and other refreshments stood on a table near the hearth another table stood ready for the lawyer so far as there could be or ought to be comfort and cheeriness on so sad an occasion comfort and cheeriness were here the cousins first and second warmed themselves before the fire and discoursed in low murmurs of the time and the trouble it had cost them each to reach this out of the way hole and discuss the means of getting away from it mr tregonell stood on one side of the hearth leaning his broad back heavily against the sculptured chimney-piece and listening moodily to captain vandeleur's muttered discourse he had insisted upon keeping his henchman with him during this gloomy period sending an old servant as far as plymouth to see the miss vandeleurs into the london train rather than part with his familiar friend even mr montague who had delicately hinted at departure was roughly bidden to remain i shall be going away myself in a week or so said mr tregonell i don't mean to spend the winter at this fag end of creation it will be time enough for you to go when i go the friends enjoying free quarters which were excellent in their way and having no better berths in view freely forgave the bluntness of the invitation and stayed but they commented between themselves in the seclusion of the smoking-room upon the squire's disinclination to be left without cheerful company he's infernally nervous that's what it all means said little monty who had all that cock sparrowish pluck which small men are wont to possess the calm security of insignificance you wouldn't suppose a great burly fellow like tregonell who has traveled all over the world would be scared by a death in this house would you death is awful let it come when it will answered jack vandelore dubiously i've seen plenty of hard-hitting in the hill country but i'd go a long way to avoid seeing a strange dog die let alone a dog i was fond of tregonell couldn't have been very fond of hamley that's certain said monty they seem good friends seemed yes but do you suppose tregonell ever forgot that mr hamley and his wife had once been engaged to be married it isn't in human nature to forget that kind of thing and he made believe that he asked hamley here to give one of your sisters a chance of getting a rich husband said monty rolling up a cigarette as he sat adroitly balanced on the arm of a large chair and shaking his head gently with lowered eyelids and a cynical smile curling his thin lips "'That was a little too thin. "'He asked Hamney here because he was savagely jealous "'and suspected his motive for turning up in this part of the country "'and wanted to see how he and Mrs. Tregonell would carry on. "'Whatever he wanted, I'm sure he saw no harm in either of them,' "'said Captain Vandeleur. "'I'm as quick as any man at twigging that kind of thing, "'and I'll swear that it was all fair and above board with those two. "'They behaved beautifully.' "'So they did, poor things.' answered monty in his little purring way and yet tregonell wasn't happy he'd have been better pleased if hamley had proposed to my sister as he ought to have done said vandeleur trying to look indignant at the memory of Dopsy's wrongs now drop that old van said monty laughing softly and pleasantly as he lit a cigarette and began to smoke dreamily daintily like a man for whom smoking is a fine art sink your sister as i said before that's too thin Dopsy is a dear little girl, one of the five or six and twenty nice girls whom I passionately adore, but she was never anywhere within range of Hamley. First and foremost, she isn't his style, and secondly, he has never got over the loss of Mrs. Tregonell. He behaved beautifully while he was here, but he was just as much in love with her as he was four years ago when I used to meet them at dances. A regular pair of Arcadian lovers daphne and chloe and that kind of thing she only wanted a crook to make the picture perfect and now mr bryanstone had hummed and hawed a little and had put on a pair of gold-rimmed spectacles and cousins near and distant ceased their conversational undertones and seated themselves conveniently to listen the will was brief to percy ritherton commander in her majesty's navy my first cousin and old schoolfellow in memory of his dear mother's kindness to one who had no mother i bequeath ten thousand pounds and my sapphire ring which has been an heirloom and which i hope he will leave to any son of his whom he may call after me to my servant john danby five hundred pounds in consuls to my housekeeper in the albany two hundred and fifty to james bryanstone my very kind friend and solicitor of lincoln's inn my collection of gold and silver snuff-boxes and roman intaglios all the rest of my estate real and personal to be vested in trustees of whom the above-mentioned james rhinestone shall be one and the rev john Carleon of trevena cornwall the other for the sole use and benefit of leonard george tregonell now an infant who shall with his father and mother's consent assume the name of hamley after that of tregonell upon coming of age and i hope that his father and mother will accept this legacy for their son in the spirit of pure friendship for them and attachment to the boy by which it is dictated in that they will suffer their son so to perpetuate the name of one who will die childless there was an awful silence perfect collapse on the part of the cousins the one kinsman selected for benefaction being now with the ship in the mediterranean and then leonard tregonell rose from his seat by the fire and came close up to the table at which mr Bryanstone was sitting am i at liberty to reject that legacy on my son's part he asked Certainly not the money is left in trust your son can do what he likes when he comes of age But why should you wish to decline such a legacy left in such friendly terms? Mr. Hamley was your friend He was my mother's friend for me only a recent acquaintance It seems to me that there is a sort of indirect insult in such a bequest as if I were unable to provide for my boy As if I were likely to run through everything and make him a pauper before he comes of age "'Believe me, there is no such implication,' said the lawyer, smiling blandly at the look of trouble and anger in the other man's face. "'Did you never hear before of money being left to a man who already has plenty?' "'That is, a general bent of all legacies.' "'In this world it is the poor who are sent empty away,' murmured Mr. Bryanstone, with a sly glance under his spectacles at the seven blank faces of the seven cousins. "'I consider that Mr. Hamley, who was my very dear friend,' "'has paid you the highest compliment in his power, and that you have every reason to honour his memory. "'And legally I have no power to refuse his property. "'Certainly not. "'The estate is not left to you. "'You have no power to touch a sixpence of it. "'And the will is dated. "'Just three weeks ago. "'Within the first week of his visit here. "'He must have taken an inordinate fancy to my boy.' mr bryanstone smiled to himself softly with lowered eyelids as he folded up the will a holograph will upon a single sheet of bath-post witnessed by two of the mount royal servants the family solicitor knew all about angus hamley's engagement to miss courtenay had even received instructions for drawing the marriage settlement but he was too much a man of the world to refer to that fact was not mr hamley's father engaged to your mother he asked yes Then don't you think that respect for your mother may have had some influence with Mr. Hamley when he made your son his heir? I am not going to speculate about his motives. I only wish he had left his money to an asylum for idiots, or to his cousins, with a glance at the somewhat vacuous countenances of the dead man's kindred, or that I were at liberty to decline his gift, which I should do flatly. This sounds as if you were prejudiced against my lamented friend. I thought you liked him, so i did stammered leonard but not well enough to give him the right to patronize me with his d blank legacy mr tregonell said the lawyer frowning i have to remind you that my late client has left you individually nothing and i must add that your language and manner are most unbefitting this melancholy occasion leonard grumbled an inaudible reply and walked back to the fireplace the whole of this conversation had been carried on in undertones so that the cousins who had gathered in a group upon the hearthrug and who were for the most part absorbed in pensive reflections upon the futility of earthly hopes heard very little of it they belonged to that species of well-dressed nonentities more or less impecunious which sometimes constitute the outer fringe upon a good old family to each of them it seemed a hard thing that angus hamley had not remembered him individually choosing him out of the ruck of cousinship as a meat object for bounty he ought to have left me an odd thousand murmured a beardless subaltern he knew how badly i wanted it for i borrowed a pony of him the last time he asked me to breakfast and a man of good family must be very hard up when he comes to borrowing ponies i dare say you would have not demurred to making it a monkey if mr hamley had proposed it said his interlocutor of course not and if he had been generous he would have given me something handsome, instead of being so confoundly literal as to write his cheque for exactly the amount I asked for. A man of his means and age ought to have had more feeling for a young fellow in his first season. And now I am out of pocket for my expenses to this infernal hole. Thus, and with other wailings of an approximate character, did Angus Hamley's kindred make their lamentation. And then they all began to arrange among themselves for getting away as early as possible next morning and for travelling together with a distant idea of a little nap to beguile the weariness of the way between plymouth and paddington there was room enough for them all at mount royal and mr tregonell was not a man to permit any guest howsoever assembled to leave his house for the shelter of an inn so the cousins stayed dined heavily smoked as furiously as those furnace chimneys which are supposed not to smoke all the evening and thought they were passing virtuous for refraining from the relaxation of pool or shell-out opining that the click of the balls might have an unholy sound so soon after a funeral debarred from this amusement they discussed the career and character of the dead man and were all agreed in the friendliest spirit that there had been very little in him and that he had made a poor thing of his life and obtained a most inadequate amount of pleasure out of his money mount royal was clear of them all by eleven o'clock next morning mr montague went away with them and only captain vandeleur remained to bear leonard company in a house which now seemed given over to gloom christabel kept her room with jessie Bridgman in constant attendance upon her she had not seen her husband since her return from the kiev and jessie had told him in a few resolute words that it would not be well for them to meet she is very ill said jessie standing on the threshold of the room while leonard remained in the corridor outside dr hale has seen her and he says she must have perfect quiet. No one is to worry her, no one is to talk to her. The shock she has suffered in this dreadful business has shattered her nerves. "'Why can't you say in plain words that she is grieving for the only man she ever loved?' asked Leonard. "'I am not going to say that which is not true, and which you, better than any one else, know is not true. "'It is not Angus Hamley's death, but the manner of his death which she feels. "'Take that to your heart, Mr. Tregonell.' you are a viper said leonard and you always were a viper tell my wife when she is well enough to hear reason that i am not going to be sat upon by her or her toady and that as she is going to spend her winter dissolved in tears for mr hamley's death i shall spend mine in south america with jack vandeleur three days later his arrangements were all made for leaving cornwall captain vandeleur was very glad to go with him upon what he jack pleasantly called reciprocal terms mr tregonell paying all expenses as a set-off against his friend's cheerful society there was no false pride about poker Vandeleur, no narrow-minded dislike to being paid for he was so thoroughly assured as to the perfect equitableness of the transaction on the morning he left mount royal mr tregonell went into the nursery to bid his son good-bye he contrived by some mild artifice to send the nurse on an errand and while she was away strained the child to his breast and hugged and kissed him with a rough fervour which he had never before shown the boy quavered a little and his lip drooped under that rough caress and then the clear blue eyes looked up and saw that this vehemence meant love and the chubby arms clung closely round the father's neck poor little beggar muttered leonard his eyes clouded with tears i wonder whether i shall ever see him again he might die or i there is no telling hard lines to leave him for six months on end but with a suppressed shudder i should go mad if i stayed here the nurse came back and leonard put the child on his rocking-horse which he had left reluctantly at the father's entrance and left the nursery without another word in the corridor he lingered for some minutes now staring absently at the family portraits now looking at the door of his wife's room he had been occupying a bachelor room at the other end of the house since her illness should he force an entrance to that closed chamber defy Jessie Bridgman, and take leave of his wife the wife whom after the bent of his own nature he had passionately loved what could he say to her very little in his present mood what would she say to him there was the rub from that pale face from those uplifted eyes almost as innocent as the eyes that had looked at him just now he shrank in absolute fear At the last moment, after he had put on his overcoat, and when the dog-cart stood waiting for him at the door, he sat down and scribbled a few hasty lines of farewell. "'I am told you are too ill to see me, but cannot go without one word of good-bye. If I thought you cared a rap for me I should stay, but I believe you have set yourself against me because of this man's death, and that you will get well all the sooner for my being far away. Perhaps six months hence, when I come back again. If I don't get killed out yonder, which is always on the cards—' You may have learnt to feel more kindly towards me. God knows I have loved you as well as ever man loved woman. Too well for my own happiness. Goodbye. Take care of the boy, and don't let that little viper Jessie Bridgman poison your mind against me. Lanard, are you coming to day or to morrow? cried Jack Vandeleur's Tentorian voice from the hall. We shall lose the train at Launceston if you don't look sharp. Thus summoned, Leonard thrust his letter into an envelope, directed it to his wife, and gave it to Daniel, who was hovering about to do due honour to his master's departure. The master, for whose infantine sports he had made his middle-aged back as the back of a horse, and perambulated the passages on all fours twenty years ago. The master, who seemed but too likely to bring his grey hairs with sorrow to the grave, judging by the pace at which he now appeared to be travelling along the road to ruin. End of chapter 4